Hey y'all, my name is Bram McCartney, founder of the 38 Challenge and host of the 38 Challenge podcast. The 38 Challenge is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in memory of my brother, United States Marine Corps Captain Matthew Brewer, who died by suicide in 2021. Every week, I invite some of the most elite special operators, athletes, and business leaders in the world to share their unique mental health battles and how vulnerability helped pull them out of these dark times. Our vision is to create a society where vulnerability is seen as the greatest sign of strength, and you can help us get there by rating and reviewing this podcast. Warning, this podcast often addresses the topic of suicide. If you are thinking of taking your own life, please call the National Suicide Helpline at 988 and press 1 if you are a veteran. Nothing is stronger than asking for help. Now for this week's episode. All right. Well, first in-person podcast with Benjamin Bunn, Coach Ben Bunn. Yeah, happy to be here. They freaking been, everything's been virtual till this point. Yep. Honored to have you as our first guest. Last night we were feeding each other cake with a with a fork. We were at Texas Day Brazil, a fine, fine restaurant, fine meats that were served to us throughout the entirety of the night. I had a great time. Right, left sweating, left with with full bellies and yeah, fed each other cake. Yes, we're in uh, San Antonio for a Warrior Rising event. Um, shout out Warrior Rising, um, and Ben and I just said, let's kick it. So excited to have you, here, brother. Yeah, I'm excited to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, stoked to kind of dive in and, and talk about stuff with you and uh, my endeavors, and then of course all the all the great stuff that we've got going on this weekend should be a good time. Absolutely, yeah. Wanted to mention we're both wearing cut shirts. Yeah, this. Uh, I wish I could say that this podcast was brought to us by Cuts because I would love to be sponsored by them. They have great stuff. Can we say it's brought to you by uh, Bravo Sierra? Can we say that? Yeah, you could say it's brought to you by Bravo Sierra. Okay. I've uh, spent the last uh, – Bravo Sierra, of course, is uh, uh, America's personal care brand, personal care products, high performance, um, tested with members of the U.S. Army, um, and, and then, of course, the adjoining branches. But uh, just launched in Walmart. I've been working for them for about uh, – Three years now. I'm the uh, director of uh, military affairs uh, for the organization. Love it there. It's been great. I've been poking my heads in a bunch of WalMarts since we launched and kind of like checking on products. So it's it's cool to be in the largest retailer in the world. I'm, you know, for sure helped us get there. But uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride. I've learned a lot working there. That's for sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I've never been so excited to to go to a Walmart. I'm gonna be honest. For real? From because your stories. Yeah. Listen, I I shop at Walmart. Like it's, I not, will tune it's, out. it's not like I do all my shopping at Walmart, but I have one close to my home and there's certain items that I know they're like, sometimes my Publix runs out of Pedialyte, right? I'm a big Pedialyte drinker, not because I'm like constantly trying to like battle a hangover. I'm just like every now and again, I'm like, for sure. I'm behind the power curve on hydration. I need a secret tool. And my secret tool is Pedialyte. I could do a whole podcast on hydration, but to get this one started off, why yeah. don't you, so talked about your your role at Bravo Sierra. Why don't you yep. talk about a little bit of your your history um, in the military, how you got to to where you are today? For sure. I'll uh, I'll break it down. I'll give you guys the uh, the elevator pitch on on who I am and how how I got to where I am today. So um, I joined the army at the age of 17 in, in the year 2000. Um, how old were you in 2000? Uh, zero. Yeah, that's <laughs> bananas. Um, I was I was taking the oath of office when, I, when you were not even alive. Um, I so, might I might have been like a couple days old. Yeah, you were a couple <laughs> days old. You were an infant. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I uh, joined the army in 2000. Um, a pr pretty humble beginnings in, in in the military. I started as like a radio telephone operator. I joined for college money, this kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, after I joined, of course, September 11 happened, um, subsequently, you know, 
Um, I, I deployed several times in support of the global war on terror um, and was was galvanized by what was happening, both, you know, uh, through my combat experience and, and you know, uh, the events of September 11th and ended up um, trying my hat at Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Um, I was selected and, and subsequently attended the Q course um, and then served in the capacity uh, of a Green Beret in, in the Special Forces uh, for a period of time. And then around 2011, I transitioned, went to school, got my undergraduate degree, and, uh, and then finished out my career as an infantry officer, uh, retiring around 2016. When I retired, I, I opened up a CrossFit gym in my hometown of Tampa, Florida. Real original, you know, retired Army guy opening up a CrossFit gym. <laughs> uh, it was definitely a soft landing, but... Uh, it was successful, though. Yeah, the, the gym does great. We've been open for, uh, you know, al almost seven years. It'll be seven years in January. Um, so bit, the gym's done well. It's been excellent. It's anchored me in my community and has been an excellent opportunity for me to kind of um, dabble in entrepreneurship. It was my first kind of foray. Um, into starting my own business and kind of figuring that out. And I really like that. I like brick and mortar businesses because I think it gives you a lot of experience. You have to take care of everything that's uh, that's involved in a business and entrepreneurship you'll you'll encounter in, in most brick and mortar businesses. Everything, you know, from how to manage employees, creating logos, T-shirts, managing a P&L, you know, to, ch you know, changing doorknobs, right? So um, it's been a great uh, experience for me. Was very humbling, you know, I, I started out, you know, with like a handful of members um, and have grown, um, you know, a, a great community. And like I said, that, you know, owning the gym is, has given me an opportunity uh, to like anchor myself like there in Tampa in my community uh, with people that matter and, cr and created some really lifelong uh, friendships. But it's also given me the opportunity to create a lot of, of great professional partnerships as well. Um, after working for, uh, you know, or, or starting my gym, owning it for about three years, I uh, was kind of sought out by uh, Bravo Sierra, which at the time was a company that was, you know, mere months old. Um, they asked me for help with uh, their ambassador program. They actually wanted me to be an ambassador at first. I think that was what their interest was. Mm. Um, I have like a, a, a somewhat large following on Instagram. I have like 17. Yeah, you're, you're, you're an influencer. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an influencer. People look to me for all life advice. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I've got like, you know, like, uh, like a, a just south of uh, 20,000 followers, which at the time was a big deal um, for me, I guess. But uh, they were like, hey, you're interested in being an ambassador. And I was like, at the time I was, I had just become a father. I was like 37, 38. And I was like, I don't really want to like scream into my phone for products, you mm -hmm. know? So I was like, hey, listen, you know, I, you know, I had been a, a global ambassador for Lululemon and had spent a, a, a lot of time, you know, operating in the capacity of, a, of an ambassador and then helping other ambassadors, you know, learn and grow. Um, I helped with a lot of professional development stuff when I was working for Lululemon and had some good formative experiences there. Um, so I was like, hey, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to be an ambassador for you, but I'd love to help you with your ambassador program. I was like, how would you guys you know, like to retain me. I was like, how about you retain me for about three months? See how you like it. Um, if you're not into it, we'll part ways. No big deal. Nobody's got to be, you know, weird about it. They retained me for three months. After three months, they loved me and uh, brought me on as a full-time employee. Um, I operated in the capacity of account manager for their military retail account at first. Uh, managed about 150 brick and mortar locations in APs, MCX, Nexcom, um, these kind of providers. Later on, would go uh, go on to lead uh, business development and sales efforts. Um, helped sell them into a couple of very large mass retail outlets 
um, to include Walmart, right? I was actually in Bentonville, Arkansas, pitching the brand to buyers, which got us to where we are circa two weeks ago, where we launched nationwide and, and all Walmarts. And then, uh, of course, also um, uh, uh, have done a little bit of work with uh, or continue to do work with some different nonprofits. You know, I continue to volunteer my time um, as a coach and mentor for, for Warrior Rising. And of course, here, um, both you know, enjoying a little bit of vacation, but also hanging out and supporting, uh, you know, the, uh, the way rising business shower that's taking place this weekend. And then of course, um, getting an opportunity to attend the, the fundraising gala, which should be great. A bunch of good friends are going to be there. Tim, Tim Kennedy, Nate Boyer, Nick Palmashano, all, all these guys that are, are doing great and influential things in the veteran community. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at both personally and professionally. I'm 40 years old, you know, married, have a, have a four-year-old son or he's getting ready to turn four. So busy guy, you know, between, you know, my, my efforts with Bravo Sierra, um, my gym, and then of course, you know, the, the work that I do with, you know, various veteran nonprofits and veteran service organizations, I stay super busy, uh, but you know, I like it that way. Right. It's the way it should be. And, yeah. um, excited to, to have you on the 30 challenge team. I know, yeah. if I know I can, the other day I texted you, said, Hey, I got a question. You said, we'll call you in 30 minutes. And, and that's just, just the type of guy you are. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, of course. Um, Awesome, man. Well, obviously, as you know, this podcast is all about, and we're all about warriors being vulnerable. And the reason why I love you as our first guest for the in-person podcast is because you are this, um, you're, you know, you're, you're very masculine, you're, you're, you're tatted up, you're a big dude, you're very in your face, right? Um, and you're super straight up. And that's why I'm looking forward to, 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 to kind of diving into it. So I guess the first question in regards to, to vulnerability is what, how would you define it? Right? How, how would, when someone says vulnerability, like what are some things you think of? You know, whenever somebody, I could tell you, like, it's hard to say, it's hard to define vulnerability. Right. I'm sure Miriam Webster has done it though. I'm sure there's, I don't even know what that definition I is. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's, <laughs> well, safe. it's probably good. Yeah. Um, but for me, like when somebody says vulnerability, the immediate thing that I think of is honesty. You know, you're being, this is an opportunity to be honest, right? And, um, I think honesty takes on a lot of shapes and sizes. I'm a big, I'm big on honesty, you know, and sometimes like people, you know, sometimes people are honest. They're like, that person's an asshole. Right. And like, it's, you know, Hey, maybe they are, but maybe what they're also saying is truth. I also think there's a time and place for truth. You know, people are always like, speak your truth into power. I'm like, right. Of course. That's great. You know, yeah. it's good to be honest. And there's, and there's a time and place for vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Time and place for vulnerability, time and a place for honesty. I think the two of those are synonymous, you know, those, yeah. they're for sure synonyms for me. So I think, um, in order for you to be truly vulnerable, you do have to be honest. You have to mm -hmm. be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with the people that are close to you. Um, you know, when you have to be, um, you know, honest, uh, to the, to, to, you know, like I said, you know, yourself, the people that are close to you. And then of course, you know, um, to the people that, you know, you work and play with. Right. Um, and I think vulnerability takes on a lot of shapes and sizes, uh, so to speak. But, uh, I think for me personally, I think first and foremost, like if you're being vulnerable, you're, you're being honest. Right. And I think it's an opportunity to, to share, share something personal about yourself, um, that you potentially don't want to share. You know what I mean? Um, but do so anyways, because it's, you, you know that it will be constructive, right? And of course, it's it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Right. Yeah. And I think for me, vulnerability is truth, right? Yeah. And that's the same thing as honesty, right? Like you are you are being honest, you are, you are telling the truth, right? And like, yeah, I, I love you say, you know, you have to allow yourself to show vulnerability first before you can do it with other people, right? Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to be truthful with yourself. Um, I love the definition. So starting starting your gym, 
you know, getting out of the military and then doing all the things you're doing professionally now, how would you say um, vulnerability has helped you in being a leader? How has it helped you in, in being an entrepreneur? Um, I think, you know, for sure, as I was starting my own gym, um, it was important to, to be vulnerable, right? And I think there was a lot of times when I was, I did my best to project strength, right? You know, you want to project strength and project confidence. I don't think there's anything wrong with that no. by any means. But when you start your own business, it's great. You want to project strength. You want to project confidence. You want to project competence. You know what I'm saying? You you know, the last thing you want to do is look incompetent. And you're like, I'm, meanwhile, I'm starting my own business. I'm like, are you, dude? You know? Um, but I, I think what was really important for me when I was starting my own business was being able to ask for help, which in in reality, asking for help, you got to be vulnerable. You're you're displaying vulnerability by doing that. Mm. And I think, um, and you know, going back or circling back to what it what it means definitionally to me, you know, I think real strength is the willingness to be vulnerable in front of others. That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage, you know, because I think there's a lot of stigma around the idea of being vulnerable. Does that make me a coward? Does that make me too emotional? Does that make me seem weak? You know, the answer to all of the above might be yes, but at the end of the day, like you can't truly ask for help in an authentic way, like real help when somebody's like, I really do need help. And you're, and you're like looking at them and you're like, I agree, you, you do need help or you need help and you, we're, I'm going to help you get it. Generally speaking, if somebody is, is being vulnerable when they're asking for that help, if I can see that vulnerability, I'm like, damn it, this is genuine. I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to help this person right this damn second. Right. And I, there's opportunity. People will ask for help sometimes for all, all manner of reasons. They might just be asking help because they're like, this particular task is not my cup of tea. Maybe I'm lazy. I don't know what. But when somebody is asking for help and it comes from a place of vulnerability, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to help them. I recognized that when I was starting my own business. And I told people authentically and coming from a place of vulnerability, I could use your help, right? And that help looked like a lot of different things. Typically speaking, it was just advice, you know, like right. I was, you know, very thankful to get advice from individuals. I had a lot of opportunities to work in different CrossFit gyms and I would tell them straight to the face. I'm like, I plan on opening up my own CrossFit gym more than likely in Tampa, but I don't know. It could be down the road from you one day, but like, Hey, listen, I'd love to know, about the things that were difficult for you. What, what are the things that have worked for you? You know, um, you know what are what are like the top three things I need to know before I open this gym? And I, whenever I asked those questions, I I was always authentic. I came from a place of vulnerability, and I genuinely wanted their help because I wanted to learn as much as I could. Because I was like, you know, there's no reason for me to recreate the wheel. Somebody has already done this and probably done it better than I will do it. So my best bet is to is to get help from them to know what they know so they can help me along the way yeah yeah i love that man and in the in the vulnerability vulnerability sense as i'm struggling internally right and I, and I need help like first off i love what you said like true strength like that takes a lot of courage to say like dude i'm struggling yeah. like in in saying that is in having that first conversation like imagine the amount of internal conflict you're having before you reach out to someone so for you to have that that sense of strength and be like I'm struggling. Like to me, nothing is stronger. Who, whatever else society views it as, whatever as you know, whoever else looks at it, like, like to me, like there's nothing stronger because there's people who are counting on you. Yeah. And for you to reach out for help means that you're gonna go protect them. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because I've had a lot of people that I think I believe were asking me for help, but I really had to like tease it out of them. Right. You know, I don't think they were. 
that, you know, they approached it a different way. They were just like, Hey, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? And instead we're describing a situation for me, but at no point, but I think, you know, I think it would help all of us. I think it, our, all of our lives would be better if you were just like, Hey man, I need to talk to you about something. I'm, I'm in the middle of, per, I'm in the middle of personal crisis. This is my predicament. You know, my brother in Christ, I need some help. You know what I'm saying? I'm jacked right. up right now. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, man, I can count on one hand the amount of times that people close to me, or even in some cases not super close to me, have actually framed it that exact way. But I got news for you. When those individuals approached me that way, I stopped what I was doing immediately. Without a doubt. Without, like yeah. full... and anything and everything. If someone reaches out to me and they're like, hey, like, like I need help. It's yeah. like, I, like whatever I'm doing, like it's done. I'm dropping, I'm calling you, I'm finding someone close to you. Like that's, that is number one priority. And that's what people need to understand. Full stop. Right. But here's the thing is, you know, we, if we truly want help, right. We do, we do have to come from a place of vulnerability. we got to be honest with the people that we're, we're asking for help from, you know, cause there's been a lot of times where, like I said, I had to like tease it out of them. And the, essentially like somebody was describing a crisis to me. And it took me, you know, a bit, uh, you know, maybe I'm, you know, and it could be that I'm just a bit of a dunce, but you know, no, I, was, I was just like, yeah, it's yeah. No, I, I get, I know exactly what you're saying. Cause yeah. it's, it's that stigma. It's that taboo, right? People don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. So like, they could be like, am I doing it right? It's yeah. like, and, and so I had, a, I had a person ask me once, they're like, Hey, uh, how do I start the conversation? I was like, dude, just start it. Yeah. I, just be like, Hey, I, I need help. Yeah. Like, just start with that. And then. I was like, whatever comes from it, like you're going to feel, you're going to take that first step towards growth. Yeah. And I, and I think if like, if you truly are, if you do, if you are in a place where you're finally like, yo, I need help. I'm in personal crisis. Like, listen, the, the need is acute, you know, this is a great time to just utilize brevity. You know what I'm saying? It's right. Like, yeah. Tell me what's going on. Get it out. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it right now. And, but I understand it. And it could be something sensitive. It could, and once again, like we're asking people to step outside of their comfort zone yeah. when they're doing something like asking for help. Once again, just back to vulnerability. Like even the word, when I think of the word vulnerable, I think of like softness. Yeah. I think of weakness, you know, and, but I, I know that's not the case, but it's just like when I first hear it, I'm like, Oof. it's that stigma, bro. It's a stigma, it's, it's you know, stigma, and yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And I just think it's all about how we describe vulnerability and how, how we have these conversations around it that kind of help kind of defeat that stigma and just get people to the place where they just feel comfortable asking for help. I think it's a huge issue in the veteran community, right? And what's interesting is the veteran community bar none has more access to mechanisms to receive help than yes. any other demographic by far in the United States bar none. And it's well known. It's, and, and veterans know that there's help out there. We all know about it. Yeah. We all know about it. And meanwhile, people are like, oh my god the va is not doing anything i'm like yo <laughs> like, i'm not sure that's true yeah, you know what i'm saying right. i think what the real problem is is i think we just have we all are having issues asking for help honestly i think they're you know it's difficult but like when creating an organ the next great rush of of nonprofits or or uh you know veteran service organizations whatever you want to call it you know they take a lot of different shapes forms and stuff like this might just be a damn organization that coaches people on how to ask for help. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're trying to do, bro. Uh, there, here we all are. You know yeah, what I'm saying? We're right. in it right now. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, all right. Yeah. No, dude. I, I, and that's like, so we, we view ourselves as cause there's what f over 40,000, not VSOs out there. It's insane. Tons. There's so many. And like you said, people know that the helps out there. They know the numbers to call, you know, you can, you can press, 
you can press the suicide, suicide the three numbers suicide. You can call nine eight. Yeah. Not hard to do. Not but hard. it's like but the hard part is actually getting to the point where it's like like doing and so many people don't show, take that first step of showing vulnerability that they won't even pick up the phone and reach out to the help that they know is out there. Yeah. And and so like like you said like right now when people say vulnerability, people say seeking help that's it, it's seen as a sign of of weakness and we need to flip the script to make it a sign of strength. Yeah. Um and that's what go back to what I said earlier. It's why I love you. You got a big strong dude. You're a big strong dude. Thank and you for saying so. Of course. And now you know I want to ask you to get vulnerable. Sure, sure. So what and I asked I asked you know before we got on you know exactly what you were going to say but so yeah. what has been a time in a dark time in your life where you've I guess we'll start there what what's been a, a dark point in in your life I so I will tell you I will tell you about uh, so I will tell you about the worst day of my life and I will tell you about the best day of my life the worst day and the best day um bar none the worst day of my life was October 8th, 2018. It was the day my son was born. The day my son was born. Absolutely worst day of my life. Um, and not a lot of people know about this. There's only a, only a few people that are extremely close to me know that that was not a great day for me and know the details of why it wasn't great for me. And I'll, I'll talk about it and I'll talk about it in a way that's honest and I'll talk about it in a way, try and make sense of that because that's a weird thing for a dad to be saying. It's the worst day of your life. It's the day my son was born. Yeah. Um, but... So under, but to understand why it was such a terrible day for me, it's good to have some context. So, you know, I had my son out of wedlock, you know, I was in a relationship with his mom for a couple months we ended up parting ways amicably, right? Um, both of us at the time were successful in our, in our own way, right? At my gym was taking off. I had recently bought out my business partner, um, or was in the process of, of getting ready to buy out my business partner. We're starting to see some real success. Um, starting to become profitable. I was paying myself. I was making great relationships in the community. I was, you know, getting involved in great events. My son's mom, exact same thing. You know, she had been uh, a, a huge player in the CrossFit community and was an absolute force to be reckoned with on social media, was an early adopt adopter of, uh, of Instagram and was like an influencer. And, you know, I think both of us were on a trajectory that was that was outstanding at the time. And then, Lo and behold, the two of us ended up um, having a kid out of wedlock, and the two of us weren't together at the time. Um, I remember she had called me up. It was the day after Gasparilla in Tampa, which is this like big pirate parade where everybody like, you know, gets shit faced on Bayshore Boulevard, which is this long stretch of of sidewalk slash road that's that's on the bay. It's beautiful, and they like drive pirate ships around, and everybody's out there shooting cannons and drinking in public and all this kind of great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like the next day, I was like violently hungover. And she FaceTimed me and she was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I'm pregnant and I plan on having this kid. Do you want me to be involved? And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Um, fast forward a little bit. She ended up moving from where she was living at at the time to Tampa. And our sense was that even though we weren't romantically involved, um, was one, we needed to figure out how we were going to co-parent this child. Mm -hmm. Seemed like the best bet was, was for her to be in, in Tampa at the time. Um, and then two, you know, just to figure out if there, what, what the, our relationship was going to look like long-term, right. you know, obviously we had to establish what it was going to look like to co-parent a child. That means that both of us are going to be involved. Um, and then of course, you know, understanding what our relationship was going to look like 
was also a big piece a big piece of that puzzle right mm-hmm. and you know i think both of us were curious as to whether or not there was going to be a romantic future for for both of us um or whether we were just gonna you know kind of create this partnership between the two of us that looked a lot like a good friendship while somehow figuring out a way to to manage you know this this kid's life between the two of us right right, right yeah. which is what a lot of co-parents go through this is a super common issue right well, you know, we, we, we took a stab at it, you know, and the two of us um, spent the majority of our pregnancy trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, you know, we the, neither of us knew, we both knew that there was not going to be a romantic future for either of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ended up moving back to North Carolina. And, um, you know, and at that point in time, like, you know, I had spent that entire pregnancy, like going to every appointment. You know, we had a gender reveal party where we were both present. Um, and it put on a lot of smiles, but, you know, I think behind the scenes, both of us had struggled with, you know, the fact that we were potentially going to be in a long-term relationship with another person that was not romantic and that we had a kid involved. Right. You know, that's a wild thing to think about. Um, it really is. And it, what was, what made it pretty, uh, you know, pretty difficult was the fact that neither of us had really known each other for that long. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we dated for like two months or something like that. Right. Um, and uh, so we didn't know each other well. So we're still trying to like get to know each other at the same time. So it, it was it was tough, man. It was super tough. And then when things didn't pan out and she ended up moving back uh, to North Carolina, which is was where she was living at the time, you know, that, was a, that was difficult. I was like, damn, what is my place in this kid's life going to look like? And, um, and of course, the, the two of us after, you know, she moved back to North Carolina, we're not having a good time in terms of, of, of getting along with each other. And uh, when my son was actually born, you know, I didn't even find, I found out about it on social media. That's like how I found out that he was, he was being born, oh, that wow. she was like in labor. I found out on social media. It was interesting as they'd actually set an appointment for his birth, but I think it ended up being like a day prior or a day after or something like that. A hurricane had just, or was on its way to hit Florida, was going to hit the panhandle Jacksonville. So uh, we were racing to get to North Carolina to beat the hurricane there. We get to North Carolina. I get there super early, uh, like five in the morning or something like that. We land in North Carolina. It's me and my mom. And uh, we're in North Carolina, get there, land, are trying to get in touch with uh, my son's mom and her sister, aren't able to get in touch with them at all. And I ended up not even being able to get to the hospital until like 4.30 p.m. or something like that. And my flight out of there is at seven and we're trying to fly back before the hurricane hits Jacksonville. And then we're like, not going to be able to fly back into Florida for like multiple days. Right. Um, and it was a really difficult situation for me, you know, like his mom and I weren't getting along at the time. Um, you know, as, as not being the, you know, I wasn't anybody's husband state of North Carolina. You're just some guy I had no rights to my kid whatsoever. So it wasn't like I can be like, hey, I need to like come in here and I need to be in the hospital and have set some some time aside for it. There was nothing even saying anywhere legally that I was related to this child. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so it was super tough, you know, and I felt I remember when I was there, you know, when I the first time that I got to see my son, I almost felt like a, a, a I felt like a visitor in the room. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I and the reason it was terrible didn't have anything to do with any animosity or trouble that, you know, mom and I were having, but had everything to do with the fact that it made me feel extremely insecure because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job. I felt like I was, I had been a bad father. 
and I had barely even started. Right. I had barely even started. I had not even started yet. You know, mm-hmm. my, this kid has been alive for not even a full day, and I'm already fucking it up. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. already a derelict absentee father. I'm not involved in this kid's life. I feel like I'm a guest, you know, in the room where he was born. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It was brutal. I have never dealt with something so devastating in my entire life. And I had to ask for help. I had to ask for help. You know what I'm saying? Right. What's interesting is the people that I asked for help uh, with are, are my now my now wife huh. and my mom, right? My now wife and my mom, um, both of whom... You know, and like, you got to imagine my, you know, my now wife, where she was coming from, you know, she had seen me, you know, essentially have a a brief relationship with this woman. The two of us get pregnant, you know what I'm saying? And then I have a a child with this woman and then go on to, you know, make attempts to co-parent that sort of falls through. And now I'm just in this scramble to do my best And this. And around the same time, me and this woman are, you know, are now in a serious or developing a serious relationship. Right. And so she saw all that going on and for whatever reason still found me to be somebody that was that was worthy of love, worthy of building a life with. Mm. And not only that has has pitched in and is now bonus mom to my son, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And loves him the exact same way that that I do, you know, or or at least as close to it as you possibly can without being genetically related to a child, you know right. what I'm saying? Treats him as if she is, uh, he is her own. And then of course, grandma loves him as well. But the fact of the matter is, is at least for that first year, I was traveling back and forth every two to three weeks to go see my son two and three days at a time. Sometimes when we were visiting, it was like in an apartment complex common room. That was like where I was able to like spend time with my son, like mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. It was horrific for me. It was brutal. But I had my mom there, you know what I'm saying? I had Samantha, my wife there, and they were an absolute rock for me. And I remember after going through um, all that, you know, having the opportunity um, to see the type of support that they gave me, and I asked for it. I was like, I cannot do, I cannot do this alone, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because I didn't know what I was doing, you know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of times, and same thing, like my son's mom didn't have the benefit of going through this with a husband. Right. Or a spouse that was with her every second of the way. Yeah. You know, once she left Tampa and was back in North Carolina, she was on her own, man. Mm-hmm. So tough for both of us. And, uh, but she was lucky too. She had a couple great friends that really helped her in that, those first months, that first year, the same way that I had great help from, from my mom, had great help from my wife, who is now my wife, uh, this kind of stuff uh, to, to, to kind of get through that. But I will say there's, there have been few instances in this life where I've, I've asked for help and, and just out loud been like, I cannot do this on my own. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm a hard charger. I've done hard shit. I know what hard shit looks like. I know what yeah. it feels like. I've been through it. And you can that... tell and you can and you can tell you're a hard dude too. Anyone anyone who's met you. Well, th- thank you for saying so. I'm glad that's what I'm projecting. Well, I mean, compliment or not. Like that's just but I, I think yeah. it's important. Like it's like like you like it's like that's what I'm saying. Like the, this is a you are a man, right? Where it's like someone looks at you and it's like, This is a hard dude. And yeah. you're out here saying like I'm sure that was one of the hardest things you've ever done was ask for help. And I, and it was, and it was, I knew it. I knew immediately. I was like, I will not be able to do it on my own. Yeah. So, so was it pretty much like when the first time when the hurricane was happening, when you went to go to see your child for the first time, is that with the moment you're like, I need help? Or did it take time for you to, for you to realize, be like, man, I, this is not something I can do on my own. Like, 
that I'm, I'm really struggling. I need to search for help. Or was it in the beginning when you right off the get go were like, man, like, I guess like what, what was your thought process up to the point where you reached out to, um, your now wife and your mother? Um, I, I think initially my mom just jumped on board because for her it was instinctual. Right. You know what I mean? And I think for my wife, you know, I think she was, she was unsure. We were in a new relationship. Obviously I had a big mess, you know, I had some luggage, you know, your guy had luggage for sure. Right. Like, like, you know, bless my wife's heart for sticking around through all that shit. You know what I'm saying? That's bonkers. She's a saint. Um, You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, man, she is the most loyal, you know, person that I know. And the only way that I could possibly uh, pay this back to her is to do my best to be a, a great supportive husband so she has the best life imaginable moving forward. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think, you know, my mom kind of jumped in naturally. So I didn't have to ask her for much. But later on down the road, and I think, and nobody knows what they're getting into when they're being a parent. I think everybody's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to strap it to my chest and we're still going to do all the same shit we always did. And yeah. then the, the reality sets in of what it's like to be a parent, you know, the day-to-day, the grind, how demanding it is. And, and what it actually means to be a good parent, you know, the amount of time that you actually have to invest in that child on a day-to-day basis to really ensure that you are being a quote-unquote good parent. Anybody can be a parent. I mean, anybody. They, you don't. You matter of fact, you need no credentials whatsoever to be a parent. Did mm-hmm. you know that? You just get. You could just get pregnant. You just have a kid, and they'll be at the hospital, and they're like, "All right, you've had the child. Both of you have survived. You seem like you can walk on your own. Good luck. <laughs> good. Best of luck. You don't yeah. need a license or a certificate or nothing. You know what I'm saying? You're just off in the world being a parent." Um, but to be a good parent, you know, it's obviously that's like a, a moving target. Right. And I, and I think there's a lot of things that we could say that, that make you a good parent. A lot of things that we say make you a bad parent. But the fact of the matter is, is it's like anything. If you want to be an, a great pianist, you just got to practice at it like 90 minutes a day. If you want to be an okay pianist, you know, practice a couple times a week for 30 minutes. You want to be a good one, you know, make it, you know, three to four times a week yeah. for an hour. You want to be a great one, you need to practice every single goddamn day for at least 90 minutes Dude, and i think about this all the time and vulnerability is a skill like, yeah like to be in into the same thing right and when the first time you do it the first time you you talk to someone it's like just like the first time learning whatever chinese like yeah. you're, you're not going to be very good at it but then the more you do it like you said to become a master of something you got to keep doing it and doing it and doing it yeah and i think for me i you know, once I was ready, you know, once I knew that, you know, Samantha was going to be in the picture long term, you know, and then once I realized how difficult it actually is to be a parent and started needing specific help, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's when I like was like, mom, I need help, you know? And like when I would go to those visits in North Carolina, I didn't have a manual. I hadn't spent every single day with my son. I had no idea. Showed up. Yeah. I was just showing up and I was like, okay, I don't know where he's at in this in this journey of being an infant, you know what I'm saying? But like, hopefully I can figure it out. You know what I'm saying? I would do my best to get the cliff notes from mom so that I knew like when to, you know, I would like keep this schedule of when he slept, when I fed him, how much I fed him, like all this kind of stuff, doing everything I could. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not with an infant child day to day, man, you do not know what's going on. They, they are changing on a daily basis. So I was just like, mom, I need your help. Like I'm getting ready to go to North Carolina. I'm going to be there for four days. I'm going to be looking after, you know, my son, your grandson, like, please God come with me. Right. And same thing on more than one occasion. Like I think Samantha started coming on the same trips around the time uh, my son was like four or five, six months old. 
she was right there in tow. It was the whole thing. It was me, my mom, and Samantha, you know, all packing up, getting on, on a plane or getting into a car, getting up to North Carolina, spending that time with my son to the best of our ability, and then turning back around and then going back to, you know, our quote unquote lives um, to the best of our ability until, you know, three to four weeks passed and we we're back up there doing it again. Then it went like that for quite some time. And I'm here to tell you there's no way I would have been able to do it without their help. No way. All right, I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable com- question. Yeah. So where was your, what's the relationship with your father? Like, was he, was he involved in this? No, not really. Right. Yeah. This is a goddamn uncomfortable question. Good for you to dig in on it. Um, me and my father don't get along all that great. Right. So when I was about six years old, my mom and dad got divorced. Um, and you know, it didn't sit well with me as a kid. My dad was not around a bunch after the divorce when he was around it did not it was not a good thing you know what i'm saying um and don't get it twisted it's not like he was beating the shit out of me or it was yeah. some kind of weird prince of tide shit going on but i will tell you this like my dad for a, a big portion of my life in a lot of ways felt like a stranger and i didn't feel very close to him and more so than anything else he was he's kind of scary to me you know what i'm saying right he's a scary version of a man and uh, as a result that affected all, my relationship with all men you know, for years after the fact, I didn't look up to other men until way later on in my life. You know, like, you know, interesting, when, you yeah. know, when like 15 year old kids are like looking up to Dan Marino and stuff. I looked up to no men. You yeah. Know what I'm saying it was a weird thing. Um, I mean, I, it makes sense. Yeah. And and only reason I ask, because I'm sure that that played into the model, right? How do you model yourself? Because you I mean, you were probably like, I don't want to I want to be a good father to my to my son. Yeah. And let me tell you something. I think my dad. And, you know, him and I have a relationship now, mostly because of my son, because he wants to see my son. And I'm like, hell yeah, well, you've got absolutely yeah, 100% access to this kid. You know what I'm saying? As much as you want. Me and you aren't going to be drinking beer anytime soon. Yeah. But like, I will tell you, you, you can see my son whenever you want. And I support it. And he loves them. And, you know, when he calls them, you know, pop pop and all this kind of crazy shit. It's great. That's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Um, I love to see him. This, the two of them interact. My dad's an old dude, though. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like he's running in the backyard with him. But you can tell he's he's truly tickled to to, to see my son and uh, to have a that's relationship. That's gotta be that's gotta be good for you to see too. Yeah. It's good for me. It is. Yeah. It's 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 very good for me. And you know, and I do it begrudgingly. Like every time, I'm like, Ugh. but I'm like, this is the right thing. I can tell. I look at it. and I'm like, this is the right thing. Um, but I didn't have a great relationship with him growing up, so I didn't have, and because of that, I didn't have a a, a, a way to really model myself after any particular man. Mm. I had a stepfather that came into the picture. Around the time I was 9 or 12 and stuck around for a pretty good amount of time. Was there for the formative years. And he was a great guy. And I still am in contact with him and love him. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is it was always hit and miss. And I never had this like one consistent male role model uh, in my life that like gave me this blueprint. Like here's how, you, here's how you're going to be a good dad. But I will tell you this. I did, I did have a great mom. You know what I'm saying? That's a fact. You know what I mean? And not only did I do my best to model myself after the way that she raised my sister and I to the best of her ability at the time, single mom, going to school, working more than one job. She's an educator, so obviously she didn't make shit. You know what I mean? She's a high school teacher, but continued to work on her education all the way until she got her PhD. Right. Um, you know, and continued to, to, uh, to work part time so that she could provide for me and my sister and I'm not going to say that we were poor, but like, you know, we were shopping like scratch and dent stores and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but, you know, my mom did a good job of making it seem like we never were really missing out on much of anything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that like we weren't, you know, that we were kind of like 
maybe not middle class, maybe like yeah. a bit lower. Yeah. Until like I got older and started doing like sleepovers at my friend's house, and I was like, "What the hell? Like, is going on over here? Look at all these games you guys got. Yeah, like, all, these, like, all these cool ass clothes you got. Um, a starter jacket, you say? Um, but uh, <laughs> I do not have access to that. Um, to this this type of warmth and style. But uh, but uh, it was just you know. But you know she she insulated us from all that. And I knew to a certainty that my mom loved me and she made all that very clear, even though she wasn't able to spend as much time with me and my sister because she was working and going to school, you know, she figured it all out. And I, I kind of saw what she did and what she was able to accomplish. And as I was kind of transitioning into a role of being a father, I was like, I know I can do this because I watched my mom do it. And she was just as busy as I am now. She had just as much on her plate more because she had another kid, my sister, um, and if she can do it, I can do it. And what was great is I, she tagged along for the ride and so did my wife, Samantha. Right. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without either of their help. So it's, Dude, it's that's been... a, yeah. You know, people who listen to our podcast, like the, there's things like for me, like I talk about my brother all the time. My yeah. parents got divorced when I was, um, when I was in seventh grade Okay. and it was a nasty divorce, man. I uh, bet. One, it was legally my like there's certain aspects of the house where they could, my parents could be. It's like, like in one home, they could only legally be in certain rooms. Yeah. And so I had to live in that environment. And to this day, it's the hardest thing for me to talk about. Yeah. But way harder than my brother. And, and so really, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wait, that's a, that's a, I was like six. So I didn't know the difference other than that. My parents were arguing and it was scary for me. And when that was over with, I was like, thank God. Cause that's all I knew. I didn't know anything about interpersonal relationships, the dynamic. I was spared from that. But if like you're old enough to know better, like you have relationships, you have friends, you know, you know, you understand what it means to be attracted to the opposite. That all has got to be hard. Yeah, man. And like, I, I, and I've said it before, I, I did a solo pod and like for, for, if, for me to go to a counselor, I'm not talking about my brother because I talk about my brother all day. I'm talking, yeah. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that experience. Yeah. Um, which is, which is, you know, people like, it's all about perspective. Right. And, but, but to me, like that, my brother was the person I looked up to the most in life. Yeah. Right. So like he, like he was like what I saw as strength as what I saw as, you know, what, what it means to be a man yeah. and it's to just, you know, be just brutal and, you know, physical and big and strong and you know yeah. master things and then so that that's why i'm so passionate about it right is because that's who i looked up to i thought he was a superhero i thought he was it would never happen to him and then it did yeah um but so tell me about tell me about you said that was the the, the saddest moment in your life so yeah now it was t- probably one of the worst days of my life so now talk about the happiest same day oh yeah same day same day i saw my saw my son um for the first time in my life um told samantha that i loved her for the first time mm-hmm. um my mom had an opportunity for, to see me as a father truly as a father for the first time and um the, from that day things changed for me when my son was born like i was doing well before my son was born you know i had transitioned out of the army opened this gym i think a lot of people would have told you they're like been successful you know, he's got all the, you know, the measurable things, right? Right. Yeah. That make make somebody successful, right? Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody 
you know, if, but if you got close to it, I was like, was I successful? You know, in reality, what I wanted is I just wanted a clubhouse to hang out at, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? At the gym. It's just a clubhouse, this place where I was hanging out at, working out. Seemed, it was, I was passionate about it. Right. Started this business. When my son was born, I was like, no, fuck all that. This is not a clubhouse. This is a business. Right. And I was like, and on top of that, like, this isn't enough. Right. Um, like, I, I want more because I want to be able to provide for, for, this, for this kid. Mm. And at the time, you know, he lived in a different state. So in order for me to be present, I was like, I got to figure this out. You know what I'm saying? I got to get things streamlined to the point where I can travel regularly. I need to make enough money so that I can travel regularly. And I, I want, previous, I would have been like, I could have just lived in one of them Sprinter vans and hung out in Montana once a month, yeah. went to the gym, you know, lived this kind of nomadic lifestyle. But, you know, once I had a kid, I was like, no, that's not it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I need to be successful. I need multiple streams of income. I want to have a life that when he gets older and, and knows better, he can be like, I respect what my dad's done. My dad's a former Green Beret. He, you know, runs his own business. He's a captain in industry, right? Works in the consumer product goods industry. Entered it as a 36-year-old man out of nowhere. And, you know, now is formidable in the space. Right. Volunteers his time with veteran nonprofits and in his community. I wanted all those things, right? And having... For your son to look up to and to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, to see that and to understand and model that. Because, you know, I never... Like we said, I didn't have a great model, I don't think. There was men in my life, but they were all doing their best. And don't get it twisted. You know, like I said, it wasn't like my dad was beating the shit out yeah, of me. Right. Or yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Anything weird like this, you know what I'm saying? There was no Prince of Tide shit going on. Yeah, and that doesn't, yeah. But yeah. he had his own problems, same way I did, you know, when I was having my kid. You know what I mean? Like, I was a very, uh, uh, you know, I was in possession of a lot of flaws. You know what I mean? Still am. I'm a real piece of shit. Just ask around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, and I and I had seen both my father and my stepfather, you know, go through super hard times, and and I and I knew that, you know, um, you know, when I knew what it looked like when they were, when the, when they were at their best and at their worst, and I was just like, God damn it, man! I just got to do my best to just always be at my best for my son, right? And at the time, I didn't even get to see him that much. So I was like, I, you know, every time I'm there, I got to be bringing my A game, you know? Right. I got to right. be the best dad I can be. And it just drove me to be much more focused and much more successful. And you ask anybody that's close to me, they're like, it, it, they might not, we might not all like have marked it on our calendars. They're like, all right, guys, this is where Ben's going to turn the corner. You know, he's really going to turn it around <laughs> yeah. after this. Like a NASCAR race. Yeah. yeah. But, they, but I think like if you ask anybody who's known me since then and they're like, did you notice anything different about Ben after his son was born? And they'll all tell you like, yeah, it seems like he got real focused after that. Yeah. And that's what it is. I just, I have more focus, you know, locked in. Yeah. Everything passes through the filter of my son. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and, and also my wife and my, my direct family, right? It's like, yeah. does this benefit that, that family unit? Does this benefit my son? Mm -hmm. Does this benefit Samantha? Does this help my mom? Like if the answer is no, I'm like, well, oh, why am I doing this then? Right. Because really those are the things that are most important to me at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, where I get the most joy is taking all, my entire family out to dinner. Or if my mom's like, I, you know, you know, getting her some thousand dollar present for, for Christmas or something like right. that. Or, yeah. or being able to give them some of my time in an intentional way, like all these different things. Or, you know, I want my mom to be proud of me. I want my, I want Samantha to be proud 
that I'm her husband and vice versa. I want her to be proud of having my last name. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you know, I don't think you're going to accomplish all that by being a broke shitbird. you know? So yeah. I was like, <laughs> I need to get it together. Right. So I really doubled down on my personal and professional efforts. Um, I got serious with Samantha, um, you know, and, uh, uh, since that time, things have just been, like, it's been probably there's, and there have been tons of difficult times, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, but that being said, it's, it is thrust me into a point of my life where I feel more capable, more, more focused, uh, more successful, and just like all around, you know, having a child just p pushed me towards um, a different level of excellence that I had, had not yet experienced just because there was no need for it. I didn't right. need to be doing that well. You know, there was no need for it. I, like I said, I could just like live in a sprinter van. Yeah. Just live in my crappy house in a bad neighborhood. And, you know, as long as I had like good coffee and I could lift weights every day, I was like, you know, what does it matter? You know what I'm saying? But for sure. When I had a kid, that shit changed quick. 100%. I think, you know, li listening to you speak, you have a lot of perspective. Like you, you're very aware of, so for example, you know, you said, um, I went through this and it was really hard for me, but you said, and it was very difficult for, for the woman, the mother of your, of your child. Yeah, man. And, and, and you said, you, you know, it was very difficult for me and for my relationship with my father, but he's going through the same thing that I went through. So I think, you know, did vulnerability in, in kind of taking a look at yourself and everything that's going on in your life and being honest, do you think that that's led to a lot of the perspective you've had? I think so. And, you know, and to your point, right, like I, I see my father and I, I know and I look back on, you know, when him and my mom were getting a divorce and I know how difficult that must have been for both of them, you know, mm -hmm. to you have this way of life, this family unit, this everything that you've grown accustomed to for decades. And even though at the time he seemed like he was having a blast after the divorce, which was I took personally as a kid. Yeah. Um, I know he wasn't having a blast. It's, yeah, it probably was ma masking a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so much. Right. And um, and I know he had a tough time, and I know he was doing his best. Same thing, even though my uh, my son's mom and I, we for sure are at each other's throats sometimes, but I know how hard she had to work, right? I know she made, I mean, she made significant sacrifices. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, meanwhile, you know, for the first, like, essentially, like, year and a half of my son's life, I'm just driving back and forth doing this part-time shit. She was doing it full-time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had this gigantic support network. She was, you know, at home by herself. You know what I'm saying? But she for sure, you know, like I said, she had help and she had great people in her life. Um, people that also, you know, were great to my son. Um, but I, I acknowledge that, right? And I think, I think I had to like recognize my own hard stuff, recognize my own bullshit a little bit mm -hmm. and ask for help. And I think like being vulnerable, asking for help, recognizing where I was experiencing difficulty, you know, all these things gave me additional perspective. I lose sight of it. Like anybody, sometimes I'm like, yeah. you know what? No way, dude. My story is the story of the world. And the only thing important, <laughs> the thing that's happening is whatever I'm involved in, you know what I mean? Right. But I do, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll, I'll sober up. You know what I'm saying? I say sober. I'm not running around shit faced. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. I barely drink, but I actually I, offered a drink and you, you said, no, I said, no, it's it, like, it's too early in the day. I got a job later. Um, <laughs> but I, it gives me the opportunity to take a, a sober look at what's going on. I step out of my own shoes. I try and take a cold, hard look at everything that's going on. And I just do my best to make pragmatic decisions that I think will impact everybody that touches my life in as positive a fashion as possible. I got news for you, man. If I make problem for, problems for my son's mom, my mom, my wife, any of those people, 
strong chance they're going to make problems for me later on down the yeah, road, yeah, you know? Yeah. So if I have the opportunity to make things better for all of those people, all these people that are in my life, you know? Right. Um, then I think it bodes well for everybody. You know, if you're comfortable, if you're real comfortable and you just are experiencing daily comfort, yo, brethren, do your best to do the same for others. Try and make some other people comfortable along the way. And it, and make yourself uncomfortable so that they can be more comfortable. Yeah, right. And Delib- think, yeah, yeah. And there's something yeah. to be said to seeking a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, right, right. That's why I work out, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Probably. Um, so through going through through these experiences, right, and honestly, I, I for sure thought you were going to talk something about your military experience, and I'm so glad that you didn't. Yeah. So glad you didn't. I uh, mean, I've done a lot of wild shit yeah, in the military, sure, yeah, too. I could have told be- some some crazy war stories. Yeah, right. So. But I and and I'm glad we didn't go that way because again, it's all perspective and yeah. and the way that I suffer is the way that it's different than the way that you suffer. But yeah. the, the only thing is we got to talk about it. So for the listeners there, ones that can relate to you, um, maybe ones who are dealing with things from their military experience, things that are dealing with things that you and I have no idea or can't relate to. What would be your advice for them for seeking help for taking that first step? This is this is what I'll tell you. Um, bad news does not get better with time, does not get better with time. You could personally be experiencing hardship right now. You might've gotten bad news. You know that bad times are coming and you know that you need help. This is what I would, I would tell you is one, you know, tell somebody soon, tell Mm -hmm. somebody ASAP. If you've got the bad news, go ahead and deliver it. This is not going to get better with time. And what I'll tell you is if you've got bad news, be honest about it, be clear, and just don't be afraid to ask for help, right? Like I tell people all the time, you know, I think the worst thing that you can ever get is a text message that says, hey, can I talk to you later? You know, nothing else. <laughs> yeah, dude, the worst. I'm like, oh, I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, how about, I was like, later, how about right I'm calling, fucking, yeah, I, yeah, I'm calling right you now? right now, I'm yeah. calling you right now. Yeah, so like nobody likes that, No, dude. the worst. No, dude, oh my get gosh, out of here. Dude, that is the worst. <laughs> that is dude, the you got worst. time to talk. I need to speak to you about something yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, if soon means right this fucking second, yeah, yeah dude, I got time to yeah. talk. Can we talk later? Something's wrong. Like, no. No, dude. Yeah, like, we're I'm talking not, now. Yeah, I'm, we're I'm talking call, now. I want to call you a hundred times until you yeah. answer your phone. Yeah. And so, like, that's that's my two cents is, like, you don't like that happening to you. So, do – you're going to ask somebody for help. You know who it is you're going to ask for help from. Yeah. You know exactly. You're like, you know what? So-and-so has encountered It's either going to – I mean, and for some people, it's either going to ask for help or you're going to – or you're going to honestly make a – you're gonna make that temporary decision, yeah. And like, and like the person who you would ask for help, like, ima- like imagine them not getting that call. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I think a good example is if you take a kid and throw them in the deep end of a pool before they know how to swim, they will spend a whole bunch of time trying to swim, even though they know, goddamn it, that they can't. Right. They'll spend a whole bunch of time trying to swim their way out of it, all the way up until they're getting ready to physically drown. To, to I'm actually gonna start taking on water. Right. And then and only then will they ask for help. Then they start screaming help, but it's too late. It's gargled. They're drowning at this point. Yeah. Dude, don't wait until you're drowning. Are you in the deep end right now? Do you not know how to swim? Ask for help right now while you mm. still got a, a lung, lungs full of air. You yeah, know what man. I'm saying? Yeah. Ask for help right now. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. And there's going to be, and I promise you, if you ask for help right this damn second, there's a bunch of people that are getting ready to dive in and give you a hand, unless you're a bastard. You know what I'm saying? Um, but even then, yeah. I know a lot of bastards. I'm still like, God, 
this guy again. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, all right, what do you need? You know what I mean? Yeah, but, if you are a bastard, call 38 Challenge. Like, call call someone, right? Yeah, call somebody. Yeah, call you know, someone, yeah. call me, even if I hate your guts and you know it. Yeah, call me up, dude. There's because I'll tell you what, there's nothing that makes me feel better when somebody has guts I hate asks me for help. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact, it's probably one of the most positive experiences you can ever have. But in reality, though, I say that jokingly. Yeah. In reality, that's a cathartic experience. So if you have an opportunity to help somebody you don't even like that much, even better. Right. Even better. You've helped yourself. You've helped them. Um, but yeah, that that's probably my advice, right? If you're if if you're in the deep end and you're already starting to thrash around in the water, don't wait. Ask for help. Great right advice, now. man. I I not heard that. I love that. Yeah, I came up with it just now. I'm a goddamn genius. Dude, you are. Jo- <laughs> we were talking about Jordan Peterson before, so he might be the next one, bro. Jordan Peterson. Yo, man, he's <laughs> he's compelling. He's he's very convincing. Um, last question for you. Yeah. So, what does what does the 38 challenge mean to you? Uh, this, I've spent so much time thinking about this. The two of us have talked about your organization a great deal, mm-hmm. right? What it means from a, a community perspective. What you're, where you're going to go with it, what you're going to take, take from it, you know, um, what you're going to do in the world with it. Look at at the end of the day, thirty eight challenge for me, I think is, it's about community, right? It's about community, mm-hmm. and it's about connection, and it's about both uh, physical and mental wellness. I think there's this huge disconnect in. And it's not just veterans that are having this disconnect, right? It's not just veterans. I think it's a lot of folks. But we're disconnected from our community. You know, somebody like knocks on your door right now, like out of the blue. And I was like, hey, I just wanted to swing by and see what you're up to. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing over here unannounced? Samantha, grab. <laughs> yeah. Samantha, grab, grab, the, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. grab the gun. Grab the Mossberg. Yeah. But like, I think back in the day, if somebody knocked on your door, you're like, who could it be? Uh, there's a comedian yeah. that talks about this. Like, who could it be? Get get out the Inman's cake. Put on some coffee, right? Mm-hmm. But we're we're disconnected from our own communities in such a way that I think you know seeking out additional ways to establish um, community to uh, establish um, tight social connections, right. trust, is, Back trust, to that trust. Yeah, more important than ever. Yeah. I think Thirty Eight Challenge is a medium to do that. You know, finding events or you know participants in your community that are of a like mind, you know, that have similar goals, similar values is so important. Also, the fact that, you know, 38 Challenge pushes you towards physical discomfort and encourages you to continue to work on yourself, not just mentally, but physically, I think is a, is a huge deal. Look, I, I don't pretend to know a ton about, you know, suicide, veteran suicide or, or mental health. I'm not a clinician. I, I you know, I neither don't, am I. Yeah, yeah. but I, I will tell you this, you know, Somebody that like works out or jogs once a day, it just seems to me like they're happier. It seems like to me they got a better grip on things. And it seems like to me they're at a much lower risk to hurt themselves or others. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, 38 Challenge represents, you know, community, tight social connection, and the ability to continue to work on both your mental and physical health in a way that will will predicate um, a better life for you and the people that are around you. You know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of people in places and organizations that are doing the exact same thing. But this is what I'll tell you. They're like craft breweries, man. The more the merrier. Stick one on every single corner. You know, everybody should be able to have access to this kind of stuff. And I'm glad that you're out there doing good works. I'm glad you're out there giving people an additional way to pursue all these things that are going to make their lives better. 
because it's important and we can't do it enough. You know what I'm saying? Last time I checked, population doesn't seem like it's shrinking anytime soon. You nope, know? it did. Yeah, 100. percent Yeah. Um, hell yeah, man. Well, actually, one more question for you. And, yeah. Um, for the, the listeners, one of the things we're gonna be doing now is people with, um, you know, athletes or or um, veterans who have experienced um, brain injuries. Yes. We're going to ask them to to pledge their brain to, to Project Enlist, which is, as you know, the, the other uh, program that I manage. Yep. Would you be willing to do that? 100%. I've been next to a lot of explosions. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. I've definitely, <laughs> you know, uh, hit my head a lot. So I'd be more than happy to. Like I said, I've, I've had a longstanding history with both the, the Army and, uh, and a couple different VA offices re regarding TBI and and uh, being able to to fitfully recover um, from severe brain injuries, so I I'd be more than happy to do so. Oh yeah, man. Well, brother, I love you. I'm so glad we can meet each other in person finally yeah. in San Antonio. You know, as we were just talking last night, it's just the beginning, man. We're gonna help so many people together and um, and a whole bunch of different aspects, both professionally, um, personally, through the VSOs, which you grac graciously gift your time towards. Yeah. So, um, thank you, man, for coming on. Thank you for being vulnerable, bro. Yeah, um, of course would not have anyone else the first one of the in-person podcast thanks for making it easy brother yeah of course man happy to be here man. oh yeah awesome